In the first century world of Jerusalem, a rope was not the chosen weapon of death. They chose stones. And in Acts chapter 6 and 7, Dr. Luke tells us about the martyrdom of Stephen, the first Christian who gave his life for Christ. Stephen started out waiting on tables for widows and ended up being led to his death by the stoning of an angry mob. Let's join our study leader Dave Wurtzen in Acts chapter 6 for a real-life Bible story better than any Western. What's the most exciting thing that ever happens in a Western? What's the most important climax you can ever have? At the ultimate crisis of Wyatt Earp, what happens? The gunfight, right? The gunfight is the most exciting climactic thing that can ever happen in a Western. But I want you to know there's a second, a second incredible climactic thing. If you want to make millions, the second thing you need to learn how to do is lynchings. Lynchings are almost as good as gunfights. Because in a lynching, what you do is you take usually an innocent victim. And the mob seizes the innocent victim. They take him to Judge Roy Bean, who tries to put some kind of a justice surface over this thing. Then suddenly the mob rises up. They seize the victim. They haul him out. They put a rope around his neck. And they kick the horse out from underneath him, and the innocent victim is killed. Well, I want you to know that in the first century, they didn't use ropes. They used stones. We saw in the book of Acts, the last time we studied together, as we're looking at our history, the beginning, the very first century of our movement that we're a part of, the evil one attacked and tried to destroy a body of Christ in Jerusalem like our own, by getting them to argue over an incredible thing of meeting the needs of widows. That didn't work. The church organized, the administrators in the group got together. They chose seven guys. They become the seven, and Stephen was one of them. And they solved the problem. Widows' needs were met. They were moving together across cultures. Greek-speaking Jews were meeting with Hebrew-speaking Jews. They overcame their ethnic problems, overcame their administrative problems. Satan failed. So then he amounted an incredible direct assault. His direct assault this time was he rose up a group of Jews that were Greek-speaking. They had come from the diaspora, and they had held on to their Judaism. And that made them intensely passionate about their Judaism. If you turn to Acts chapter 6, you can read about this. In Acts chapter 6, we'll look at the incredible group that began to attack Stephen. Look at it in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. It says, now Stephen, that's the man we're going to talk about this morning. Now Stephen was a man, he was full of God's grace and full of God's power. He did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. So he's, he's a prophet. He has the same kind of authority as the apostles. He's filled with the Spirit, and he's gone from, move, from waiting on tables and meeting the needs of widows. Now the Holy Spirit is powerfully anointing him to become one of the most eloquent apologists for the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. Look what happens. This opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene, and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. By the way, uh, the Cyrene, that is the Roman province that's now in modern-day Libya. So as we talk today, you can pray for fellow believers in Libya that are under tremendous pressure 
because way back in the first century, there was a group of Jews that are now in Jerusalem that came from that area. The area of Alexandria, we need to really pray for our fellow believers in Egypt today. And the conflict continues to go on. Great persecution against especially Coptic believers. We have the problem of Cilicia and Asia. That's up into modern-day Turkey. And Asia Minor is what's being referred to. And believers in Turkey, we need to ask the Lord to bless her. Just so you can see that the conflict that Stephen was facing in the first century is still going on today. It says, these men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom, the skill that he had. And this skill came from the spirit who was upon him as he spoke. They secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law said that they seized Stephen. They brought him before the Sanhedrin. Here we have the lynch mob. They seized Stephen. Now they bring him with trumped up charges, trying to give some legality to what they're doing. They produced false witnesses who testified before the Sanhedrin. What did they say? This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. He's going to change the customs that Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Here we have the accusation, the charges that are brought before the Sanhedrin as Stephen speaks. What's going on? The charges are really serious. Number one, they're saying that Stephen is speaking against God. But I want you to notice what I just read. You notice that the first time they said he speaks against God and he speaks against Moses, the second time they said he speaks against this holy place. You need to think really hard. One of the most powerful ways that the evil one will get you to oppose Christ is through your religious place, through your religion. These Jews, if I was taking their part, they would be here this morning and they would say, the most sacred thing to us is the temple in Jerusalem. It's one of the wonders of the ancient world. It is gorgeous. Everyday sacrifices are held there. There's an incredible priesthood. There's incredible ritual. There's incredible priests that sing. There's beautiful psalms. If I had some Jews here from the first century, this text I read to you would have been totally different. They would have said, see this man, Stephen? This man, Stephen, is a blasphemer. He's an evil person, and he needs to be destroyed. But they were wrong. You see, what they did is they made God equal to their holy place. It's one of the most powerful things down through church history. One of the most ironic things that blows me away in the history of Christianity is that those that followed Jesus, who spent his ministry saying, like to the woman of Samaria, those that worship my father must worship him in spirit and truth. We have become devoted to our places. We have become devoted to going to sacred places where you can supposedly get close to God. I want you to know that your Savior says, watch out. The living God can't be ever contained in a place. What gets me about Stephen's defense is that as he begins to mount his defense against the charges, what he actually does is he turns the table. And what Dr. Luke does through Stephen's speech is he says to every one of us, myself included, he says, which group are you going to be with? 
This morning, you need to decide whether you're going to be with the Alexandrian Jews, whether you're going to be with the synagogue of the freedmen. You're going to have to decide whether you're going to follow this incredible, beautiful, traditional religion, whether you're going to be into sacred places, you're going to be into rituals, or whether you're going to really let the living power of the Spirit of God touch your life. And what scares me as I go through this text is there's a lot of Stephen's enemies in me. I want you to notice that Stephen does an interesting thing. The charges against him are two things. One, you've blasphemed God. And number two, you've rejected the laws of Moses. So let's look at those charges. First of all, are those charges true? They say that Jesus Christ is the one that spoke against the temple. Like in most situations like this, it's partly true, partly not true. In fact, if you go back and study the Gospel of Luke, you're going to find out that Jesus did predict that he's going to tear down this temple. Anybody ever hear that? Do you remember when you studied the Gospels? If you're new to us and you're just maybe just beginning to seek the Lord, I want you to know if you go back and read the Gospel of Luke, that's the first book that Luke wrote that talks about the life of Jesus. One of the things that Jesus does in his ministry is he says this temple is going to become irrelevant. That's why he got crucified. So you need to wrestle with, what am I going to do with temples? What am I going to do with church buildings? What am I going to do with these sacred places? Because Jesus is saying that this temple, the Lord's been upon it. But the Spirit of God has left it, just like Ezekiel predicted. Ezekiel actually saw that happen. And I am now come as the Messiah. And I am now tabernacling among you. I'm the presence of God among you. And you had to decide in the first century as a Jewish person, would you believe what this incredible man is saying, that he is the presence of God in our midst? So in a way, their charges were partly true. Jesus never said he would tear down the temple. But he did say, This temple is going to be destroyed. If you're a young person, say, why should I believe in Jesus? One of the reasons you should believe in Jesus is that when Jesus said that in 33 AD, the temple wasn't even done yet. It was completed a few years after that. It looked like, man, Pharisees and the Romans are in bed together. They're really uniting together. But in 70 AD, not one stone was left in that temple. It was completely leveled. Exactly what Jesus said. And there hasn't been a temple again that was a legitimate temple in Judaism, and there still isn't today. The holy place was destroyed. So where do you go now? you got to decide. Will you go to Jesus? The second thing I want you to see is that they claim that Stephen has spoken against the law of Moses, and that's partly true too. Because Jesus said, in fact, in Luke's gospel, Luke's gospel says a lot about the Sabbath. You see, the religious people say, thou shalt remember the Sabbath. So they come up with a hundred rules and regulations to tell you how far you can walk on the Sabbath, how large a burden you can carry on the Sabbath. The Pharisees even built little colonnades all around Jerusalem so that you could always be inside so you wouldn't break the law. You see, religious people, in fact, some of you this morning, you're really into dotting all the I's and crossing the T's. Watch out for that. Because our relationship with Jesus isn't math. Our relationship with Jesus isn't just dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Some of you get really angry if you don't follow the rule. This morning you need to really ask yourself, have I understood the spirit of the law? Because the group that ended up stoning Stephen, you see, what they were really into is the law says on the Sabbath day you shouldn't do any work. So when Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath, he did something that was really good. 
Someone that had been blind for years. Someone that had been lame for years. Jesus didn't bat an eye. He would heal them. And the religious people crucified him for it. What about you? Now, Dr. Luke reveals the real issue. If you look at it, it says that they were jealous. They couldn't resist the spirit and the power with which Stephen was defending the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. And what Stephen goes on in, in, the, in responding to the charges against him, he does an incredible thing. You see, what I'd expect him to do is say, wait a minute, I haven't blasphemed the Lord, and I have not rejected Moses. But instead, you know what he does? Stephen, in his speech in Acts chapter 7, he gives a history. Now, I know in your quiet time that you all go over that quiet time and you skip over the history. Go, here we go again, another boring history lesson. How many of you have ever been bored with history? Come on, be honest. A lot of you have. Because a lot of our history teachers are boring. But I want you to know that the Lord God of heaven really cares about history because your redemptive history is in the history. It's in the history of a very special people called the children of Israel. So Stephen begins his speech, as you look at Acts chapter 7, there in your lap. Stephen starts out and says, Father Abraham had many sons. And what he does, he talks about the call of Abraham. And what he does, he talks about Abraham being called in Iraq. There's another connection with the modern world. You see, Abraham began in Ur of the Chaldees, and that's in modern-day Iraq. So outside the sacred land, there's no tabernacle. The living God of the universe actually begins the redemptive history that's picked up again in Genesis chapter 12. And he begins to call the great patriarch Abraham to himself. And Stephen tells that story. And he tells that, and all of his audience said, yeah, 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 that's our family history. We're Father Abraham's son. Then he launches into the story of Joseph. Now, what does every kid learn about the life of Joseph? Why did Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery? Everybody tell me real loud. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery because Joseph had these dreams. He's going to be the leader. He's going to be the one that God blessed. Critical scholars read this text and say that Stephen didn't know what he was talking about. It's a weird speech. Luke made it up. has nothing to do with the charges. It has a lot to do with the charges. Why did, you, why did the crowd rise up against Stephen? Everybody tell me. Because of what? Tell me. Tell me again. Anybody ever wrestle with jealousy? Anybody here this morning wrestling with Jealousy? You see someone begin to have tremendous blessings. You see God's hand upon them. Maybe he blesses them in business. Maybe he blesses them in the Lord's work. Maybe you see the Holy Spirit begin to really work with them. Jealousy rises up. This morning, if there's jealousy in your heart, if there's jealousy in my heart, then I'm in the crowd that committed mob violence against Stephen. That's what Stephen's saying. And what he's saying to, the, to these Jews, he says, if you look back over your history, you've got a history where you became jealous and you rejected the leader that the Lord raised up for you. The Lord was actually raising Joseph up to deliver the people. 
He was raising Joseph up so he would actually protect Judah so that the promised line would continue. But Judah sold him to slavery because he was green with envy against his brother. He hated his brother. That's the very first thing that Stephen says. Then he traces the history through the rest of the patriarchs, very quickly goes through Isaac and Jacob, and then he moves until the story of Moses, which was the charge. Remember, they said, you rejected the law of Moses? And what Stephen does is he tells a history. He reminds his audience, and by the way, it's a very summary history, and his audience would know the history. Stephen wouldn't even have to fill in half the details that I have to fill in with an audience like this. They knew this history cold. So Stephen jumps to the life of Moses, talks about him being a beautiful child. The queen of Egypt looks at him, sees that he's circumcised, and Stephen has brought up this idea of circumcision. And, and the critical scholar would say, man, what in the world is he talking about circumcision? Because that's going to be really important. This is actually an incredibly brilliant speech. Because he talked about how God gave the sign. If you're a Jewish person to this day, if you're an Orthodox Jew, the sign of circumcision is what makes you know, I'm a child of the covenant. I am part of the people that have brought monotheism to the world. I'm the one that's going to bring the Messiah. And I know that because I was circumcised on the eighth day. If you're Orthodox Jew, to this day, that's important. And Stephen reminds him of that, that God gave the sign of circumcision. And he speaks about, he even insinuates that the reason the queen of Egypt knows this is a Jewish boy is, man, you look at this naked little boy lying in the river in this little ark. He's circumcised. Hey, that's a Jew. And the Lord protects him. Moses is raised by the queen of Egypt, but when he's 40 years of age, he goes out among his people because he chose to identify with his people and suffer suffering with the slaves. He sees an Egyptian taskmaster. Stephen describes it, reminding us of what happened in the story of Exodus. We have an Egyptian taskmaster whipping one of the Israelites. And Moses rises up. And he stops the Egyptian. He ends up taking the Egyptian's life. Now, I know that you've heard countless messages about how Moses was brash and how Moses was impetuous and he should have never murdered the guy. Well, when you get to heaven, if the guy that he saved is in heaven, I hope he will be, you ask him what he thinks about Moses delivering him. It's very important for us. One of the things I want you to learn to do, you need to let the story unfold. And I want you to know in Stephen's speech, Moses is not the bad guy. He's the good guy. And the point that he's making is that Moses, when he's 40 years of age, is saying, I'm the deliverer. That's the call of my life. God has ordained me. But the next day when he goes out and sees some of his brethren fighting, which is what God's children tend to do. Some of you do it. Moses grabbed him, and one of the Israelites said, who made you one of our leaders? How many of you have ever said, these elders, anybody ever said that here? You know what that is? That's rebellion. As a wife, have you ever said, this stupid husband, what an idiot. That's what I'm talking about next week. You know, one of the greatest problems in our culture today is we reject leaders. It's true politically, it's true family, and it's true in the church. And that's why, as Americans, 
In our families, we don't have leaders. In the church, it's hard to have leaders. Because as individuals, we worship individualism. And just like the children of Israel, God raised it up. God means for you to have authorities, legitimate authority. Moses was the legitimate authority that God raised up. And what Stephen says is just like Joseph's brothers, because of jealousy, they rejected Joseph. The same history is being repeated. When God raised up Moses, Stephen's saying, I'm not rejecting Moses, you are. Because Moses was raised up and you rejected him. He had a flea into Midian for 40 years and you rejected him. So what Stephen's actually doing is he's turning the tables. He's saying, I'm not the one who's really the condemned one or the evil one. I'm not the one that's not in touch with the living God. You've lost touch with him. Your jealousy is attacking you, and it's causing you to, to not be able to receive the power of the spirit that's in this man, Stephen. Your rebellion, your rejection of the leader, Stephen is a new prophet that the Lord's raised up. He is giving you accurate words about Jesus, who is truly the Messiah, and you're rejecting him. Then Peter comes to Stephen, I mean, come to the climax of his speech. The guy's crazy. Like, if you want to get yourself killed, this is the way to do it. He says, you're all uptight about the holy place. He quotes the prophet Amos and says that you always rebel. You've been idolatrous. In fact, all the years that you were in the wilderness, you offered to idols. You offered to Raphan. You offered to Molech. Moloch was this horrible Moabite god that I've told you about where that he would, they would take their firstborn sons and they'd heat this idol, Moloch, to a just burning hot and take little infant sons and they would offer the baby to the god. And the children of Israel sacrificed their children. Satan's always after the children. That's how bad it was. And Stephen says... You're attacking me. You're part of a people who was idolatrous. Even during the wilderness wanderings, you were Baal worshipers, and you got involved on the plains of Moab in immorality and idolatry. That's what Stephen talks about. And then he closes by quoting the prophet Isaiah, who's the major prophet of the Old Testament. Isaiah's the big one. He says, Isaiah says, the living God can ever be contained in a building. Even Solomon, when he built this incredible temple that was torn down by the Babylonians, and then it was rebuilt in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, and now you're worshiping this building. He's saying, you all have forgotten. You don't ever go to a building to worship the living God. Because the living God, even the universe, can't contain it. How great is our God? How great is our God? So if you ever think, hey, I can come to a building. Midlothian Bible Church, we make it really easy for you not to worship buildings. But I want to warn you, it's really powerful. In fact, I see a tremendous resurgence, even among evangelicals. Sacred places. Sacred leaders. Rituals, the tremendous protection in that. 
Tremendous security in that. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, when you step into eternity, there's no sacred building that will give you eternal life. There is no priest that can do any ritual for you that will make you safe forever. And Stephen closes his speech by saying, the ultimate savior of redemptive history, the one that was the seed of Abraham, the one that King David was pointing to. Stephen, at the climax of his message in Acts chapter 7, he says, the Messiah has come, and you killed him. You took the climax of redemptive history, and you killed him. Now, what should have happened at that moment in time? At that moment in time, just like when Peter reached this point in Acts chapter 2 and says, you crucified God the Messiah. And 3,000 people were pricked in their heart and they received the Messiah. In Acts chapter 7, the climax is different. This time the mob rises up. They're filled with anger. One of the expressions of anger is that you gnash with your teeth. Some of you at night... Are you grinding your teeth? What are you stressed out about? What are you angry about? That's one of the signs. When you, when you, when you grind your teeth, tremendous turmoil going on. And what, what I find as I work with people, jealousy, which leads to anger, which leads to rebellion against the authority that the Lord gives us, especially the revelation of his word causes us to become so passionate. Some of you get so angry over things. Are you part of the mob that rose up? Because they rose up and they took Stephen outside and they didn't lynch him. They did something far worse. They threw their jackets down and they threw stones at one of the greatest defenders one of the greatest apologists of the first century. And those stones began to thud against his body. And he cried, get him. Destroy him. Are you angry with God's people because they've let you down? I did a wedding last night, and it was a tremendous reconciliation. A guy that almost punched me out years ago. I ended up doing his daughter's wedding, and he didn't punch me out last night. He hugged me. God can redeem. But you know, there was someone else there that's still filled with anger. Like an iceberg. Some of you are like that. It breaks my heart as a pastor. You hang on to your anger. Your heart... Instead of having a soft, circumcised heart, you're hard. And that's what produces mob violence. It's what destroys the unity among God's people. And so I asked myself this morning, Dave, what about the jealousy in your heart? What about the rebellion and the anger? Stephen looks up into heaven and Jesus is standing there. Some of you are scared to death. Man, I, if I ever was martyred, I want you to know that if you ever call to get martyred, your Savior is going to stand up. 
And it says Stephen looked up and the son of God is standing. Why did he stand up? Because every good host, when he's bringing one of his sons home, stands up. And Stephen, before he's ushered into heaven, by the way, Jesus is the only person that when you're getting stoned can say you're all right. Isn't that incredible? Nobody else I could ever talk to you about can do that. Say, how do I know it's true? Because just like Jesus cried out on the cross, forgive them for they know what, not what they do, Dr. Luke presents Stephen just like the Son of God. Heavenly Daddy, don't hold this against them. Some of you say, well, Dave, I'm really discouraged. I feel frustrated. I'm not really sure that God's going to come through. How do you think that the body of Christ felt? Suppose you're one of Stephen's close friends. He's the most eloquent defender that we've had of the faith so far, and he's dead. A mob stoned him. Dr. Luke does an amazing thing. He introduces us to a man. His name was Saul. They threw their coats at his feet. Would you have guessed the man that would be used by the Spirit of God more than any other man other than Jesus to show us it's not a holy place. It's not a ritual, legalistic view of the law. Moses talked about a prophet that would be greater than him. And Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle. He's the one that the Spirit of God touched to take Stephen's place. Let's pray. As I've been speaking to you today, what about jealousy? The Holy Spirit wants you to take that away. Let him do it. Don't hang on to it. You're angry at yourself. Am I jealous? What about the rebellion against the authentic, biblically ordained leaders the Lord has given us? Boy, the Lord wants to help us today to not be like the Jewish enemies of Stephen in the first century. There were a lot of other Jews that believed in Jesus and they submitted to what the new revelation was and they bowed before Jesus. Will you do that this morning? Finally, are you discouraged? Maybe you have faced a whole bunch of stuff that you don't have the foggiest idea of what God is doing. You say, Lord, I just can't believe it. Everything I try to do, it just turns out like I didn't expect. None of you have faced what Stephen's friends faced. A battered, broken body. Martyred. That's a tough one. Will we believe he was safely home? And will we today continue this story believing that the Lord can still take Saul's that are our greatest enemies at one time and he can transform them because of the cross, because of the resurrection? If you're sitting there today and says, you know, I, I could never... I could never be like Stephen. I could never know for sure I'm going to be ushered into the kingdom of God. I want you to know there's none of you here 
that have been at the scene of a lynch mob and you applauded it and you murdered one of God's most precious servants. If the Apostle Paul were here today, he would say, listen, if I can be forgiven, if I can have Jesus come to live inside of me, if I can have grace, then so can you. So don't miss it. If you're not sure that you're part of Stephen's team, if you're not sure that you've responded to the Redeemer, right now, say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe in the Savior that Stephen proclaimed. I believe in Jesus as the greater than Moses. He's going to become my holy person, the Son of God, my deliverer. Right in your heart, invite Jesus to forgive you for your sins and receive his resurrection power.